Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah. This is from our Advent series, An Unexpected King. If you would like to know more about our church, please come check us out at cbcsavannah.com. In the spirit of Christmas this morning, I have some gifts, right? I have some gifts. I don't give things away often. I'm just kind of stingy like that. I'm kind of Ebenezer Scrooge at our house. Um, so I'm the Christmas budget guy. So I got two gifts here. Um, we got anybody in the house visiting? Anybody visiting on the floor? I can't go to the balcony. Anybody? We got one? Nobody? I, oh, there we go. Okay. So I'm, I, we usually don't call out visitors, but I got some gifts for you here. Okay. We never call out visitors, but this is the first time ever. So if you don't come back, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> So, and I'm going to kind of tell you, you're going to get both of these gifts. Okay, where was, where's the hand over here? Okay, right here. Good. You're going to get both these gifts, but um, if you had to choose one, which would you choose? The red one, of course. My son's, my wife's out of town with my daughter, so there's no females in the house. And so my son's wrapped this for us last night, and in all the fairness, I told them to make it as creative as possible. And they did. They got Band-Aids, and, and those look like uh, Hershey Kiss wrappers. That's pretty good. And toilet paper. Everything good needs toilet paper. But here, start with the one you wanted, because I mean, that's nice. I got that at Target. All right. You get open. You get open it, and, and tell everyone what it is. I don't know if I'd touch it. You just be careful with that. It's an apple, and it's got a bite out of the apple. I actually took that before the service. I was hungry. So, you, you, no, you get. No, that's not Eve. That's just for you. Um, you. you you can, you can just throw it back in that box. You can keep the box and get rid of the apple. How, how about this one? You can take this one. I don't know what's in there either, by the way. My sons, you remember. Now, they took a lot of time on that now. There's, a lot of du- there's some duct tape in there. Oh, painter's tape. Look at that. There's a snowman. Frosty's there. Oh, there's some good electrical tape there. Some comics if you want those later. Or if you get bored in a sermon, you can read those. See, I know, it's tough. Look at that. And, oh, look, look, oh, there's something inside. Look, okay, oh, what's in there? What did my kids get you? It's a, it's a gift card. It's a Visa gift card. That's for you. Thank you for coming. I think it's like 50 bucks. There you go. So, all right. And you can throw those other things away. Uh, what's the point of that? Most of you probably get the idea. Sometimes things on the inside aren't what they seem. And sometimes what I, what I want us to see today, or we're going to see in this text, is God's best presence for us are wrapped in the strangest ways. And if we're quite honest, we would never choose them. We would choose the target box, right? It's pretty. It's got snowflakes and a bow. We wouldn't choose the one with TP and Band-Aids. Um, but yet, what this text we're going to look at today, and what the Christmas story teaches us, is that God's best presence often come in not pretty ways. We started a new series last week. Uh, we've called it Unexpected King, and we're just walking through Matthew chapter one and two. So if you're looking to get ahead, we're gonna be in chapter two next week, and we kind of finishing up chapter one. And we've seen that in this unexpected king, last week he came from an unexpected family. There was brokenness all through that thing as we looked at his genealogy. Today what we're gonna see is that the coming of the Messiah 
came with an unexpected cost. And it was a huge one, especially for those who were directly involved in his advent, right? It was costly. It wasn't pretty. It's not the box you would have chosen. Um, And so we're going to look at the story of Joseph today in Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 19 through the end of the chapter. And what we're going to see is this is a gift that Joseph didn't want, he didn't choose, but the way he handles it is something that's important for us. And I want to talk about that today. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Remember, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. He's got a very Jewish flavor to his writing. Uh, his, his purpose is to show them that Jesus was a long-awaited Messiah. Let me start off in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And you can just stop right there. Right? Remember, G, the word Christ means Messiah. So he says, this is how... The birth of Messiah happened. And to a Jewish audience who had been waiting for thousands of years for this Messiah, there is all sorts of expectations wrapped up in that statement, right? What they are looking for, remember, is a deliverer, a savior. And so they're looking ultimately to be delivered from Rome. So what they want is is Conan the Barbarian, all right? They're looking for a baby that's born and the Rocky theme goes off for like the 2010, the I mean, that's what they're looking for. He's got to be a great leader. He's got to be a, uh, just a, a warrior. He's probably got to be a, from nobility because, you know, he's a king. This is why the Magi, by the way, show up at the palace looking for the king. And so when he says this is the way the birth of Messiah took place, those are all the expectations. But this is not the present they wanted or expected. It says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And they're going to say, okay, who, is it? who are they? And that is exactly the point. They're nobodies. Mary is likely a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. Joseph is a country boy. They live in a town called Nazareth. It makes Bloomingdale look like, North, like New York. Like we're talking flashing light, dollar general, that is it. That's the kind of story, uh, country, uh, country place they're from, right? And they're nobodies from nowhere, right? And they're betrothed. And when you read that betrothed, uh, it's a fancy word for engaged, but their engagement process was different than ours. And some of you know this. For them, the engagement process was a legally binding thing. So they were technically legally married. They just were not yet living together. They had not yet consummated the marriage. And typically, this was about a year-long process where the man would go, and he'd work real hard, and he'd save up a bunch of dough so that he can bring one day his bride to his house. And then they would be formally, finally married after they consummated their marriage. The only way to break off this engagement was actually to legally divorce it wasn't about, like today, you're like, I get cold feet, I take the ring back to K Jewelers. We're done, right? It's not that. We're not, we, you know, go to Facebook, single, all right? We're done, all right? It was, you had to legally be divorced even if you had not yet technically consummated the marriage, right? So that, that's a, it's a significant thing. So they're technically husband and wife, although she's still living with mom and dad, right? And so she's betrothed to Joseph, and here's, here's, a, here's a critical word, before. It's a scandalous word. It's a life-altering world. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, we get a little inside scoop, right? We, we kind of get the, we know what's going on. But remember, those there did not. It says she was found to be with child, right? 
That's huge. And notice it's, it's in the passive voice, which means she didn't come out saying, hey, everybody, I'm pregnant. Woo! Gabriel showed up. She's discovered. And if you look at the timeline, when you put Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel on top of each other, kind of figure out the timeline, here seems to be what happens, all right? So, so there, her, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, who's an old lady, gets pregnant with Johnny B, John the Baptist, right? Miracle baby, right? And so she's six months pregnant at this point. The angel Gabriel comes from heaven and said, you're going to have a baby too, miracle baby too. It's still future tense for her. She doesn't say you're pregnant. He doesn't say you're pregnant now. You will conceive, all right? As soon as she hears it, it says she gets out of Dodge and she goes south to visit Elizabeth. When she shows up, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and she's pregnant by this time because when she walks in the room, Elizabeth's like, woo, blessed are you. Johnny B's in her stomach, six months old, doing triple indies, and she's like filled with the spirit, and she prophesies, and then, and then Mary prophesies. So she is six months behind Elizabeth. She stays with her cousin for three months, it says, and then she goes back home. So when she comes back to Nazareth, she's at least three months pregnant. And it's probably then when she is found. How she's found, it doesn't tell us. Maybe it was her parents. Maybe it was her brother. Right? But in a small little town like Nazareth, it's the talk of the town. So eventually, guess who else finds out? Good old Joseph. And maybe one of his buddies is like, Joseph, Mary's back. Did you see her? No, I haven't seen her. Man, I don't want to tell you this, but... Right? And can you imagine the shock? How does this make Joseph feel? It's rocking his world. It's all his dreams and all his ambitions and all his expectations. This is a woman I wanted to build my life with. This is the woman I wanted to, to connect with in the long haul. And she's not who I thought she was. I thought we were going to grow old together. And she has rejected me. She has betrayed me. Can you just think about the anger and the, the questions? All those expectations shattered. That gets contained in that little word. She was found. She was found to be pregnant. So how's that for a present? You going to choose that one? You going to unwrap that one? So what does Joseph do? Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, notice he's her husband, right, legally, being a just man, and we read that and, and we think, yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, he is a good dude, but that word means he's righteous. He is a godly man. He is a law-abiding, mosaic law-following dude. And as someone who follows the law, he knows he has a couple different options, right? He, he's, got some, he's got options here, right? And one of them is to remain engaged to her. But what's the problem with that? Number one, he thinks she probably betrayed him. Number two, if he marries her, Guess what that means in everyone else's eyes? He's the daddy. He's admitting guilt. If he marries her, he is admitting, yeah, 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 yeah. We said, you know, we didn't know what happened, but really it was me. So for him, he's thinking that's not an option. He has another option, according to the law, that he can, he can bring her before the court publicly, kind of like an O.J. Simpson, big deal, CNN, and he can accuse her of immorality, and they can find her guilty. So his reputation is, is intact but her life is shattered. In the Old Testament, she could have been stoned. Rome didn't let them execute, uh, execute people anymore. But she certainly would be wearing a scarlet letter the rest of her life. Right? Or there's a third option. He could divorce her quietly. 
that he just with two witnesses, according to the law, could write her a certificate of divorce and kind of hush, hush, quiet, and let her go so he doesn't shame her. And he chooses this option because he is a good man, because he does care about her. And he doesn't want to destroy her life, right? So verse 20, and as he considered these things, and I love that it's, the idea is there's some time there. And I love that God let him, lets him wrestle with this, right? He just lets him kind of sit in that for a little bit. Because you know all the advice he's been getting. Think about the advice that Joseph has been getting. What is his mom and dad saying? You will not bring that tramp into our house. No, sir. Brothers and sisters, sisters-in-law. What about their, their company, their, their family business, right? They're probably the, the one carpentry business in town. You're going to use the scandalous carpenter, right? You're not going to go there. He's, that guy's wicked. He's getting all sorts of advice. And as he's considering these things, it's like Matthew draws you into the text. He uses this word, behold, boom, beholds. And it's the word see in the Greek. See, look. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, one of five dreams that Joseph eventually has, right? And he says this, Joseph, son of David. Again, he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's tying him to the Messianic line. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. What's he saying? She has not been immoral. She has not rejected you. She's telling the truth. Don't fear to take her as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now we hear that and we kind of have our New Testament and we have our systematic theology and we have our Trinitarian worldview and our Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed and we kind of get that. Oh yeah, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Blah, blah. Remember, this is a first century Jew who doesn't have Grudem systematic theology. He is a monotheist. He has, there is one God. And so this whole idea of a, of a Trinitarian God is foreign to him. So, so don't hear it with your ears. Hear it with his. Oh good, it's from the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does that even mean? They, he has, they have no concept of, a, of a, a Messiah like this. He's not sitting there like, oh, oh, I know what you're talking about, Gabe, okay? You're talking about hypostatic union, right? Jesus, fully God, fully man. Perfect humanity merged with undiminished deity. I get it. Yeah, 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 I got it. He's not saying that. He's like, that's great. This is from God somehow. That doesn't change the fact that my fiance is pregnant, and I was going to go get her next month and bring her home. And, and I didn't sign up for a two-for-one deal. And now I got another mouth to feed. Right? And, and now everyone's going to think that that mouth to feed is mine and it's not mine. They're going to think I'm immoral. What is that going to do to my life? What does that do to my plans? It's not a present he wanted. It's not a present he asked for. It's not a present he choose. Right? And I want you to feel the weightiness of that. All the emotion, all the fear. And the angel continues, he explains, goes to the word. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Notice he's not, he's not asking. He's not like, hey, if you choose, you know, should you choose to accept it there, Tom Cruise, right? This is your mission. No, he's saying, this is going to happen. So you're going to have a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus. And in saying that you're going to name him, that implies kind of ownership. You're on the hook for this boy now. And, and you're going to name him, and you don't even get to choose the name. He ain't going to be Joseph Jr. or JJ. Oh, he could be JJ. It's just Jesus Jr. I don't know. He said, you're going to name him Jesus, which for the, and that day is a very common name. It's the Hebrew word Yeshua. It's Joshua. It's named Joshua of the Old Testament. 
right? And, it, and, and names, especially when they're divinely given, are significant. It means Yahweh saves, right? And that's what he says. You're going to name him Yahweh saves. Why? For Yahweh is going to save his people. Now, remember, they're looking for saving, but they're looking for saving from Rome. And there's that little phrase at the end, they're going to save those people, what? From their sins. See, that's not the present that Israel wanted either. They're looking for deliverance. They're looking for Conan or Rocky to, to box Rome in the mouth. And they're going to get the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. Right? That's what they're going to get. Verse 22. All this took place. He's going to go back again. He's going to go back to the Old Testament. He's going to go show that this is the plan all along. This took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And not just this prophet, by the way. Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy of Messiah, where the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Who was the offspring of the woman? The Messiah. But Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he goes back to this prophecy written 700 years earlier. And when you look at Old Testament prophecies, there are different, different types of prophecies. Some prophecies like this one have an immediate fulfillment in the context in which they take place and then a future fulfillment, an ultimate fulfillment. That's one of these prophecies. In 700 B.C., Ahaz is the king. Remember, Ahaz is a bad dude. He's actually in the line of the Messiah. But he is, he is wrestling with the fact that there's two nations that are coming to attack Judah. And Isaiah shows up and says, you don't need to worry about them. God's going to take care of them. He says, and God says, hey, you, you want a sign to prove it? Ask for any sign you want. Any sign and I'll give you a sign. And Ahaz is like, no, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. And God says, okay, I'll give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son and they should call his name Emmanuel. The idea is there's, there's an unmarried woman in his family that is going to get married, have a baby boy, and, and they're going to name him Emmanuel as a sign that God is still with them. That's the temporary fulfillment, but the future fulfillment is ultimately in the Messiah, which Matthew and the angel make clear. This is ultimately talking about the one who would come and who would not only be God among us, but he would prove to be God among us, and his name is Jesus, right? This baby that Mary is carrying. So what does Joseph do with this present that you wouldn't want and I wouldn't want? Verse 24. When Joseph woke from his dream, he, encircled this in your Bible if you're a circler, he did. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He obeyed. He followed. Right? You know, there was not, I mean, if that's me and I have a dream, it's a crazy dream, angel shows up and says, I might be thinking, man, that taco did not do me well. What did I eat? He doesn't try to like, well, I don't know. Maybe I need to pray about this. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to go to rabbi and ask him what he thinks. He, he does it, which meant, you know what that means? He wakes up. Remember, Mary is at her parents' house across the village somewhere. That means he would have went to their house and said, you're my bride. And he would have taken her home. And he would have walked her down the street so that everybody could have seen it. That's huge. And it says he took her, his wife, but he didn't know her. That's, that's the intimacy, the physical piece, until after she had given birth to a son. And then what does he do? He calls him Jesus, just like the angel said. He obeys, right? He obeys with a huge, ginormous, unexpected cost. And so the point is this. Ask yourself the question. It's an obvious question. Did the coming of the Messiah make Joseph's life better or worse at that point? Did it make it easier or did it make it harder? And the answer is simple. It made it harder. It made it much harder, right? I mean, 
His plans, his dreams, now there's a financial cost he wasn't expecting, his reputation. You know why? They they live in Nazareth for a time, but when they go to Bethlehem for for Jesus' birth, they stay in Bethlehem. They don't go back to Nazareth. Why do you think? Because they can't, right? I, I think it's interesting you never hear anything about Mary's parents or Joseph's parents, probably because they didn't want anything to do with them. They maybe disowned them. So they stay in Bethlehem. So that, that's huge, having to move with a baby, new town, right? His comfort, his next few years, he's gonna be running for his life. He's gotta go down to Egypt. He comes back to Israel. He has to move again. He's all over the place. His life is rocked. His, his intimacy with his wife even, right? He doesn't have a honeymoon. He waits till after the baby is born. Now, he does have mar- normal marital relationship afterwards. Mark 6 says that Jesus had at least four brothers and at least two sisters, right? So they have a normal relationship afterwards, but that's pretty big. All the married men in the house are like, yeah, I remember that, yeah, right? So all these sacrifices, not the present he would have chosen. And we don't give Joseph a lot of props. You know, hail Joseph, full of grace. We don't got Notre Joseph University. I mean, you don't have any of that good stuff. He kind of goes away. Right, But see, here's a guy, when his story and his plans intersect the plans of what God is doing, he handles it in a way that we need to handle it. When he gets that present that he didn't want, he handles it the way, I think there's some great lessons for us. And so let's talk about that. How do we do that? I mean, when your life... When God gives a gift and it is not wrapped the way you would want it and it is not what you would take, how should we handle it? I think there's three things directly from this text, right? Three things that just kind of stand out to me. Here's the first one. We don't fear. What does the angel say? Don't fear. Natural response, right? What am I gonna do with this? When you hear words like downsizing, when you experience depression, when you hear life-altering words like diabetes, divorce, deployment, it's a bunch of Ds for you. How about infertility? No raises this year. Someone else got the promotion. You're waitlisted for the school you wanna get in. You have to move next month. You're single, still, you know, fill in the blank. When that's the gift that you have been given by God, what do you do? And what makes that really challenging for us is when we are following faithfully our Savior, right? Isn't that the hardest point? When you're, when you're doing everything you feel like God has called you to do, I'm, I'm walking with God, I'm, I'm faithfully serving him, I'm, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be, and it's like you're your life is still rocked. Your compliance is rewarded with chaos, right? It doesn't seem fair. And then the guy that you know is super rebellious and he doesn't even love God or maybe he has a half-hearted love, he's getting his socks blessed and you're struggling. That's when the rubber meets the road, right? And I would encourage you to listen to the words of the angel. Fear not. To listen to the words of Jesus, when Jesus, when a good man, just like Joseph, comes up to him, he's the leader of the synagogue, his name is Jairus, and his daughter has died, and he's broken, and Jesus looks at him and says, don't be afraid, 
when they believe, right? Some of God's best gifts come in the strangest wrapping, and you don't know what's inside. Just don't know. Was Joseph's life rocked? Yes. Is his life harder? Yes. But think about in the end, not the initial, but think about in the end what, what he got. He got to care. He got to care for the son of God, right? I mean, when, when that little boy falls and scrapes his knees, he is going to wipe the tears away from the one who will one day wipe every tear away. He gets the cradle in his hands. The one who Colossians says upholds everything with his hands. He gets to, he gets to teach the Son of God to swim and to walk. He gets to teach the one who would one day walk on water, the one who created the ground. He gets to hear the one who, who tells us to call our Heavenly Father Dad, he gets to be called Dad by him. He gets to teach him to talk, to speak. The one who would one day proclaim the gospel, the one who is called the very word of God. He gets to teach him to work with his hands and to shape and make things from wood, the one who would one day have his hands nailed to the wood. He gets to teach, as the father's job would be, his little boy, the great Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. This is the one, the only one who ever lived who actually obeyed the great Shema. And he got to teach him it. And think about this. I thought about this this week. First time I ever thought about this in my many years of preaching texts like this. Who got to spend more time with the Messiah on earth than any other person? I would bet Joseph did. You say, oh, Peter. Peter got three and a half years. Math, I mean, Joseph got, if he lived this long, at least 30 years every day with his son in his shop. The guy that we don't really know much about spent more time than anybody on the earth with the Messiah. And it was all wrapped in a package he would never choose. So how about us? You didn't get into the school you wanted to. You're mad, right? You're frustrated, you're, you're weightlessed, you're whatever. And, and that's not a present you wanted. But maybe, just maybe, God knows that when you go to this school instead of that school, you're not only gonna meet some lifelong friends, you're gonna meet somebody that's gonna disciple, you're gonna get into a church where you're gonna be loved and fed and have a passion for that. You're gonna meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. You just don't know it, right? It's not a rapping you'd want, but... Maybe you just got dumped, and that's, that's fresh, and that hurts, and, and you've been doing dating for two years, and you thought it was going somewhere, but maybe in six months, God's going to bring the one that he wants you with, and if you were still with this one, you, you wouldn't have met that one. You just don't know. Maybe you, you didn't get the big promotion that you've been waiting for and you've been promised and all these things, but God, God doesn't give you that gift because he knows this is gonna take you away from your family, double what you are now, and you're gonna make a lot more money and you're gonna start loving money and start being content and pursuing those things and be covetous instead of being content with what God has given you. And that's his gift. Maybe you have health issues that just 
are horrible. It's like, why would you let this happen, God? Because maybe you now are, are praying with your wife and your, and your marriage is closer now because you're acting in more dependence and you're crying out to God more than you were when everything was going well. Or maybe your character has been assaulted, you've been lied about, your, your business has been attacked, you personally have been, and you're like, why? I've been, I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. And yet, God is saying, yes, I know, but you know what, I'm just trying to help you see what a little bit it was like for Jesus who did nothing wrong. And you can be closer to him and walk with him. Right? Maybe you did something dumb and you got a, a DUI. Something foolish, something sinful. You're like, God, why? Why would you allow this? Because maybe he's giving you a chance to, to reassess the direction of where you're going. So like a couple weeks ago when Lee was here, he said, you're going down I-95 South. You need to get all U-turn. You need to repent and you need to turn and you need to start making decisions that are honoring to God. And his, this discipline of you is actually his sign of his love for you. And it doesn't feel like it, but it's gonna change the trajectory of where you're going. Right? His his best gifts come in the weirdest wrapping sometimes. I've told you before, when we were in seminary, and this, this is just a significant, you know, you have those Ebenezers in your life, right? Those three or four incidents, you're like, wow, God just did X. And we were, we were just moved to seminary. We needed to get in a community. We needed a church, because that's where I was gonna work. And we had joined this kind of mega church, and I was teaching in the college that Sunday. And we had visited a bunch of other places, uh, and I felt a strong impression from God that we were not supposed to be at this, this, this bigger church. We were supposed to join this little church of like 48 folks, average age 72. And, and I was supposed to intern at that church for three years. And it was the, I mean, the, you think that old building, like back then when we were like, oh, it, this made that look like the Ritz. It was in a strip mall. It, it was impossible to get to. I mean, during the sermons, you could hear the doves cooing in the ceiling. I mean, everybody there was, was literally older than my great-grandmother, and I was just like, Lord, what are you doing? But in three and a half or three years, those people loved us and poured into us and poured into our kids and shepherded us, and I got to do more ministry there than I ever would have in some megachurch where I was kind of stuck in a closet and say, hey, here, here, teach this. And lifelong friends, and we saw the church grow and was able to do so much stuff. I would never in a bazillion years have chosen that. They didn't even have drums. Right, But I see now like, wow, that was a gift that it was in a wrapping that I never would have chosen. Spurgeon says this, and I love this. The worst thing that can happen to any of us is to have our path made too smooth. And one of the greatest blessings that the Lord ever gave us was a cross. Strong. What do we do? When we get a present that we don't want, we don't be afraid. Because our God enters into the chaos and brings chaos sometimes with him, right? He brings the chaos. But he's in it. And in through it, he brings the plan of redemption. And he can do that to our lives as well. First thing is don't be afraid. Second thing is obey in faith. Joseph did and, there's, and, I, and I purposely used obey and faith. Obedience and faith are not the same thing. They are different, but they are inseparably linked. Joseph obeys. Why? Because he believes. Because the angel says, this is what God has said. This is what his word says. This is what he's doing. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He hears and he responds. And he doesn't have full info and he doesn't know everything. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out, but he obeys 
and I'm sure it was challenging. It had to be hard. You think that walk down Nazareth main road was easy? You think every day he shows up to work, every Saturday at synagogue with his bride, you think that was easy? The cat calls, the stares from his third grade teacher, it was like, his parents who didn't invite him to Thanksgiving, they don't have Thanksgiving in Israel, but whatever it is. Feast of booths, right? But Joseph is learning the lesson his son is gonna teach, his stepson, 33 years later. You wanna follow me? You gotta take up your cross. Joseph is carrying a metaphorical cross. Jesus will carry a wooden one, right? And I'm sure, here's the piece, it's huge. He didn't feel like it. He didn't feel like it. It's not a present he wanted. But the beauty in that is, and the present he didn't want is the gift that he most, most greatly needed. Joseph didn't need a great marriage. He didn't need to become mayor of Nazareth. He didn't need to have a good reputation. He didn't need his business to be a great success. His greatest need, our greatest need, was a savior from our sins. And that's exactly what he got. And his, as his story intersects with what God is doing, God uses him to be part of how he brings about Messiah, right? And, and here's, the, here's, I think, the application point. Sometimes, y'all, obedience is hard. It, is, it just is. And here's the, the sad truth, is that some of us, including myself, we only obey when we feel like it. When it's easy. When it doesn't cost us anything. Yeah. I, I, of, co of course we do that. Sometimes following Jesus, obeying Jesus is costly. It is hard. That's what he says. That's what he calls us to, right? When, when, God's, when you're in a relationship that you know is unhealthy and, and, and God is saying, no, 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 I don't want you in this. I don't want you in this. It hurts and it may cost you friendships. If you have an addiction that you're, you continue to feed a functional savior to numb whatever, whether it's prescription drugs or, or alcohol or, or pornography or whatever, and you, you know that this is sin and, and you're called to cut off that left hand or right hand or pluck out that eye, that, is hurt, that hurts. When you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you are putting something to death and, there, and that hurts. It's costly. But it's, it's what following Jesus is. When you have a plan, and this, this is big, when sometimes we have, I want to do X, I want to go to that, I'm going to take that internship, I want to go to that job, I want to buy that house, I want to fill in the blank, and, and, and it's not necessarily sinful, but you know that God's maybe saying, no, no, I want you to be content where you are right now. I know you're going to make 15 grand more there, but you are having a huge impact in this place right here. I want you to sacrifice $15,000, because this is a fruitful place for you right now. That's hard. What could you do with that 15 grand? What could I do in that bigger house? It's hard. But sometimes that's, that's the way it is. Sometimes you're called to when the rest of the crowd is going this way and they're cheating and they're sexting and they're everything else and you are going to reject that because you're a follower of Jesus. It might cost you your reputation. You might be the goody two-shoes or you might be Mr. Clean over there. Guess what? Joseph's reputation. He lost it. God's not as much worried about our reputation as much as he's worried about his reputation. That's the call, right? 
the call. Maybe you have to, you know as a Christian, you gotta forgive, you gotta release. That's hard. It's easy to, you know, when your brother smacks you in your head and you don't remember two, two, two minutes later, that's fine. When you've been wounded, when you've been cheated on, you've been lied about, releasing, forgiving, that's hard. It's costly, right? Because you want to get even. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. It's going to cost, but that's what God has called us to do. Maybe for some of us, and maybe this is it, you, you've been coming for two or three years to CBC, and you still are just kind of coming and going to go out the door, right? Here every, every other week, and, and you've, ne- you've never jumped into a group. You've never jumped on a service team, and, and it's, it's time to get off that fence, is it going to cost you an extra 75 minutes on a Sunday morning? Yeah. What are you going to do anyway? Sleep? Go. Football don't come on at one. All right? Is it going to cost you maybe some getting close to some people so they see you a little bit more than you, this little show you put on? Yeah. But that's where change takes place. And, and maybe that's the, the step of obedience for you today to, to stop playing church and playing religion and go all in. Jesus is wanting people who are all in. And we can all come up with a thousand reasons. Joseph could come up with a thousand reasons of why he shouldn't do this. Right? But he did it. He obeyed. That's what Jesus is calling us, to obey in faith. Faith comes from here. What does the word say? The word says this, I'm going to do this. Period. I trust God. And I I trust him with the results. Think about this. When Joseph one day... 30, 40 years later, we don't know how long Joseph lived. It's possible he was already dead by the time Jesus is on the cross because we don't see much about him. But when he breathed his last one day and he entered into the kingdom, do you think he was worried about his reputation anymore? Do you think he was worried about those moves to Egypt and this and that, where's the money coming from? Do you think he was worried about his business? It was all worth it. And when when he sees his stepson as the king of heaven, pretty sure it was worth it. Right? What would that reunion have been like for Joseph and Jesus? Right? That's why Paul says that, that, that the suffering of this present age is not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. Right? And if, if maybe, you're not a, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian this morning, and, and you're saying, well, man, if I, if I follow Jesus, what's that going to cost me? Jesus kind of tells us. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever would save his life is going to lose it. Whoever would lose his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. It might cost you everything. But the point is, is it worth it? Is the cost worth it? Right? And Jesus says it is. It is. And so maybe today you need to, you need to evaluate, man, am I, am I even following? Am I a Christian? Have I ever put my faith in the finished work of Christ, what he has done on the cross for me? Is it worth it? Jesus says it is. So what do we do when we get a gift we don't want? We don't, we don't fear, we believe, and we obey. We keep obeying step by step by step because he is faithful forever. He is perfect in love. He's sovereign over us. And then one more thing. Don't fear, obey, and then we remember Emmanuel, which means God with you. God with us, right? Here's what's kind of cool. This gospel begins with God with us. How does this gospel end? Go make disciples in all the nations, baptizing, teaching, and what does he say? 
and I am with you always. I'm Emmanuel, even at the end of the age. It begins with Emmanuel, it ends with Emmanuel. God with us. God is with Joseph every step. It doesn't seem like it is at times, it is lonely at times, but he is there. And God has not, and God cannot, and God will not abandon his people. As we're gonna sing in a minute, he is with us in the fire and the flood. There's a, there's a scene, again, I've been loving my Chronicles of Narnia lately, so I'm gonna keep, keep at it with y'all. If you have never read the Chronicles of Narnia, you ought to read it. There's two books outside the Bible you should read, Pilgrim's Progress and the, and the, whole, prog- and the whole Chronicles of Narnia, right? Here's a scene out of The Horse and His Boy, which is one of the lesser known, by the way, Chronicles of Narnia. It's one of my favorite, by the way. I say that about all seven of them, sorry. They're all seven my favorite. But there's this scene at kind of the end where Shasta, who is the main character, finally meets Aslan, who he's never even heard of, by the way. He says this. He's talking to Aslan. Oh, please, please go away. What harm have I ever done to you? Oh, I am the unluckiest person in the whole world. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and face. There, it said. That is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. And Shasta was a little reassured by the breath, so he told how he had never known his real father or mother, and he had been brought up by a stern fisherman, and that he had told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives, and all the dangers in Tashban, and and about his night among the tombs, and how the beast howled at him out of the desert, and he told about the heat and the thirst and the desert journey, and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased them, and he wounded Erebus, who was his friend, and also how very long it had been since he had eaten anything, And the voice said, I do not call you unfortunate. (laughs) And he says, don't you think that it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta? The voice said, there was only one lion. What on earth do you mean? I just told you there were at least two lions the first night. And there was only one, but he was swift of foot. How do you know? Because I was the lion. And as Shasta gaped with his open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued, I was the lion who forced you to join with Erebus. And I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. And I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. And I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you would reach the king in time. And I was the lion you do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to the shore where a man sat, wakeful at midnight, to receive you. I was the lion. This is a great picture of how God, in different little ways, is with us. And giving us sometimes gifts we may not want and we would not choose. If you go back to verse 18, it says, this is, this is the birth of, of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. It took place in this way. And you can write in your margin, chaos, cost. But here's the idea, that in the middle of chaos, God brings peace. And on the second week of Advent, we talk about peace, and we think about peace. And ultimately, the reason why this Messiah comes is to give peace, not peace from chaos in our life, peace with God. And we look to the ultimate, the ultimate chaos of, of the innocent son of God who was wrongfully murdered. 
There's nothing more chaotic, unfair, and unjust than that. But through that, we have peace with God. What do we do when we get gifts that we don't want? We don't fear, we obey, and we remember that God is with us. Let's pray and let's worship. Father, I ask that uh, as we reflect and as we remember that you would take this familiar again story and remind us of simple truths. I mean, there's, there's nothing radical here. There's nothing, I don't think, new that we should be not afraid. You even told Joshua, do not be afraid, be courageous. Why? That you are with us wherever we go. So I pray that we would not be afraid, that we would be willing to obey whatever the cost in faith. And that, Lord Jesus, we would keep remembering that now, by your spirit, you are forever with us. And then one day we will physically, in your presence, be with you. That's what we look forward to, your second advent. It's in your name we pray and for your reputation. Amen.